0: Welcome to Redefiner's, a podcast designed for daring leaders who are changing what it means to lead in today's increasingly complex world. I'm Nanaz Motoshami, a leadership advisor at Russell Reynolds Associates.
1: And I'm Clark Murphy, chief executive officer. Nanaz and I have spent our careers exploring what works and what's next in the realm of leadership.
0: In each episode, we ask our guests deep and provocative questions about how they've challenged the norms and how they've redefined their organizations and ultimately themselves as leaders.
1: Also, you can answer this one question, how are you redefining your leadership?
0: Perhaps the boldest question yet.
1: Conversations that matter. Inspiration for us all, whether you're kicking off your career or crafting your legacy. Thanks for joining us. Let's dive in.
0: Hi, everyone. We're excited to talk today with a leading technology futurist, Tamara McCleary. Tamara is CEO of Thulium, a global marketing and digital consulting agency. She is regularly cited as one of the leading global influencers in the world of technology and is credited for having redefined smart social in the B2B and enterprise space using AI, machine learning, and data and analytics. Now, given how much technology has taken over our lives since the pandemic and is set to accelerate even further, we have a lot to talk to her about. Clark, what are your thoughts, particularly on AI, given the fact that we, as Russell Reynolds, um, invested in it a couple of years ago?
1: There's all this discussion about AI and machine learning before the pandemic. We'd seen how much faster it helped us be. And I'm curious to hear from her how she relates the efficiency and automation, particularly as we're you know, we remote, we're going to go hybrid, with the individual versus the institution, the ability to monitor so much of what's going on through AI. So I'm really curious to hear what she has to say.
0: Me too. And apparently she has some quite detailed thoughts on how it makes our personal lives, as you said, a lot easier when it comes to doing our food shopping, our housekeeping. So super excited to uh, see what she means by all of that.
1: So glad, Tamara, you can be with us today.
0: Thank you for joining us on Redefiners. Thank you, and Clark.
2: I'm really excited to be here. We couldn't be talking about one of my more favorite subjects, which is technology in the future.
0: Tamara, before we go there, can we actually take um, a bit of a step back? Um, You have taken a somewhat circuitous route. Uh, to where you are today, having started life as a helicopter trauma nurse, having then forayed into the world of cancer research um, before eventually founding Thulium. Could you take us through that journey? Would love to sort of understand your decision making at uh, the various points in, in your career and some of the influences. Absolutely.
2: Yeah, I think it's pretty much um, a uh, show me, don't tell me kind of a move on my part (laughs) when I talk about being agile. We're all learning in every moment and growing and making decisions based on what we know. So yes, in the early days, straight out of undergraduate, I got my undergraduate degree in nursing, a bachelor's of science in nursing, and went into trauma and life flight helicopter nursing. And that was, you know, a phenomenal experience about Really, uh, being quite resourceful on the ground takes a lot of critical thinking skills. When you're on the ground in, in trauma situations like that, you don't have everything that you need available. So you got to work with what you got. And I think it's interesting as I look back at those early days, and it certainly translates into running a, an organization. Um, and then from nursing, what really got me interested in cancer research was I also did pediatric hospice nursing and bereavement with parents who were losing their children. So all of my patients had six months or less. And so, you know, for children, it's usually cancer. So that got me interested in, okay, I'm a fixer, right? So I want to know how do we fix this? How do we, how do we do something about this? And to fund my pension for education, <laughs> I had to, to get a job. So I started uh, marketing medical technology to global organizations so that would be hospital systems and managed care systems in the United States here domestically how do you take what everyone's using and used to using and get them to try something disruptive and move to a new technology away from what they've always considered to be the gold standard and One of the big, giant first transformations I did digitally was moving from paper charts to electronic medical records. And that that was a massive undertaking because you're talking about working with all kinds of stakeholders who were used to doing it a different way.
1: Wow, that sounds like a huge task. I mean, really incredible. All in all, it doesn't sound like a natural progression from someone's professional life. Think about where you started and where you are now
2: yes, definitely not a direct trajectory for me and my career path. But when I look, they were all exquisitely perfect to teach me the things that I would need to know next. And I do think this is a journey. For any leader, it's a journey. And the minute we feel like we've arrived or we know something is the minute we're in trouble. And so, yeah, as disparate as some of these things might seem, they actually
0: work hand in hand for
2: bringing me to where I am today.
0: Tamara, you have got to where you are in some heavily male dominated fields, whether it's the world of cancer research or technology. Have you ever felt your gender either hinder or help you in any way? And, and I have to say, from personal experience, I believe it or not, and, and friends and family laugh when I remind them that I actually studied and started life as an electrical engineer that they laugh because, um, I can't even change a light bulb properly. But I often say that I am where I am, in part due to positive discrimination, where, you know, in the 90s and very early noughties, there weren't enough women in the world of science and technology. And so I feel that everyone from all sort of corners of of my world tried to help me to, to become a successful engineer. Was that your experience? Was it the opposite? What does being a woman in the world of technology mean to you? And has it impacted uh, your journey in any way? Well, you know, I think
2: I'm 56, so I've traversed some, some terrain before you where definitely, at least from when I started, there were some challenges. And one of them was being respected for the intelligence that you brought to the table versus the way you looked, the way you dressed. However, I think I wouldn't be where I am today if it hadn't been for some of the most amazing men in the various places that I worked. But I'd have to say, you've got to ask. I don't think this is a binary issue, male or female. You can't expect that people are going to notice your work or, or invite you to be promoted you have to ask. And I think sometimes this might be maybe something that is more difficult for someone who identifies with a different gender to ask. But you do have to put yourself out there. And I, I love that we're seeing a lot of people speak up now. We're seeing a lot of individuals saying, hey, you know, this isn't enough. I want more. And I love that. I love seeing that because. If we have more of a global conversation around the inequities that we see in the workforce, whether they're gender binaries or not, it could be race, you know, sex, religion, you name it, there's discrimination and there's bias in people. And I think the more that we have this discussion publicly, everyone engaging in this conversation so that it's not in secret, the more we can look around and go, who's not represented here? Who don't I see? Who can I help out? And I think that's what leaders need to do is leaders need to reach out and find those that are missing from the table and do a better job of reaching out and understanding that, you know, sometimes it's just intimidating for people to to ask.
1: I think you're right. It's the leaders who need to ask. Ask their teams, their employees, their peers. Leaders have to engage and find out what their people need. You can have all the trainings. You can have all the mentoring, sponsorship. But leaders, men and women, have to ask, what do you want? Do you want it? Where do you want to go? And I think we, for far too long, speaking for myself, said, who wants it? Who is asking for it? And you've left large swaths of the company or the world out because they didn't ask. Learning for Clark Murphy is, you go ask, Clark. And make sure you know what they want and where they want to go. If we send something back to some of the senior leaders in the world, is make sure you ask.
2: Yeah. So I think one of the things is just, again, we're going back to that human piece. (laughs) Humans are so complex, which is why AI is so attractive sometimes. But (laughs) I think that with that, we need to take a look at this leadership piece that you're talking about, which is the soft skill, And the hard skills, you need both. And we saw with a pandemic how important it was for leaders to listen, for leaders to be able to manage teams remotely. They had to actually connect and engage with the workforce to make sure that things were running smoothly. And I think today's leader has got to have those soft skills as much as they have the hard skills of at least understanding the technology. I mean, you certainly can hire the experts who have the, you know, intricate knowledge of how this technology works. But I think it's no longer even plausible for a leader to not understand the technology that is either running the organization or needs to run the organization And at the same time,
0: be in touch and have a pulse on what's going on with their workforce. And actually, those soft skills that you mentioned are in an even greater demand when you're managing remotely, Tamara. I've heard you talk about marketing to machines. Um, I am somewhat freaked out by the idea that we we are kind of somewhat semi-robots and cyborgs. Tamra, can you explain in layman's terms what exactly you mean by that and where you see the future of technology going and how it's actually going to impact us as individuals? Well, just so you're not so
2: freaked out, Nenez, mm-hmm. we've already been assimilated, so resistance is futile. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you're already augmented. So true. It's an external augmentation device. So I think what we look at when we look into the future is... Things will be less external and more internal, but it will be similar. So, you know, I don't want to freak you out or scare you, but I think what it is is just our technology is becoming much more elegant. And as devices become smaller, they become implantable. So in the marketing to machines, we already have ventured into that geography. When you think about the fact of how we're harnessing algorithms, on internet search devices and with algorithms on social media to be able to reach our target market. So we're already in the space, but it's just gonna become more exquisite because think about the digital assistants that we currently have and say like, you know, uh, Alexa, Siri, you know, all of them. We all know what these digital assistants are and as they become more advanced, They become a proxy for us. Your busy executives don't have time to even, you know, handle their email. And so unless you have a really great chief of staff or a comms team that handles everything for you, wouldn't it be nice to just have a digital assistant who takes care of all of that for you? And besides that, that digital assistant is also going to be that go-between between you and any brand. So the brand will no longer control the relationship with the customer. The digital assistant, and then, of course, it would be the platform that that digital assistant is housed on, and those companies are going to be the ones that own your customer. Eventually, it will be machines marketing to machines, and human beings won't be involved in those transactions at all. You'll just get best product, best price, best everything based on the machines talking to one another.
1: Tamara, if you talk about things like that, that, technology is the great equalizer, but when you get into discussions like that, are you going to have the haves and the have-nots? In fact, it may separate the wealthy institution versus the not wealthy institution or the wealthy individual versus the not, that some will invest in more advanced technologies and that divides the world instead of democratizing it?
2: Oh, definitely. I mean, I think this is the big concern, right? So you've, you've definitely hit the nail on the head there, Clark, with the fact that, you know, what is fair and equitable? Will everyone have access to the same technological innovation? And the answer is currently no, right? You, you just bring it on home to something everybody's familiar with, which is think of in vitro fertilization, IVF. That's something that first was really rejected in the 80s, and then all of a sudden it became the next best thing for couples who were wanting to conceive. But who can afford IVF? it's very expensive. So you're talking fifteen, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 per attempt, and those attempts aren't even guaranteed. So is that democratized across the population? What if someone who is economically disadvantaged would like to have a child? Well, they're not entitled to IVF. So if you want to do future projections, we look back at historical perspectives to take a look at how these things usually play out and how they've played out in the past is that Not everybody has access unless you have the wealth. Right. So the wealth distribution is not equitable.
1: That's one of my concerns as well. If you look at education, the difference is petrified of two, three, four years from now, middle school and high schoolers who will have had different educational experiences because of technology or the lack thereof. It's this double-edged sword, I think.
2: Clark, I'm worried about the fact that what about those Wealthier students who have the money to have a neural implant and augment themselves, or have the money to say use genetic engineering to enhance intelligence. So now you're going to have those that are more intelligent than others. And I would say that we have a really bad report card historically of how people treat others when they feel that they're more intelligent than them. Can you imagine having two different? races of people, those that are augmented intellectually and those that are natural and not augmented for whatever reason, whether that's, you know, economically disadvantaged or say it's a, just a personal preference. They don't want to be augmented, or maybe it's a religious um, issue. They will not be augmented, but we are going to have a wider divide and things are going to get really crazy
0: On that note...
2: I just scared Nanez. You have? (laughs) Yeah, I know I scared you.
1: I've never known Nanez to be speechless. We we stopped her in her tracks.
0: Uh, All all I can say is that thank God I'm in my 40s and not starting life out um, in this day and age.
1: We'll be right back with Tamara after a quick break with Claire Louise McSherry, a Managing Director in our London office. Claire will share some of our latest research on how leaders can stay ahead of disruption.
3: Here's a question I get asked a lot by the CEOs I'm talking to. How can I find leaders who can stay one step ahead of disruption? From our research at Russell Reynolds Associates, we know that the secret lies in a powerful combination of skills. We studied over 6,000 leaders from around the world, and we found that those who can navigate disruption possess two key competencies. They are highly innovative and they are highly inclusive. In fact, we found that 85% of leaders who excel at innovation also excel at inclusion. This combination of skills makes leaders inquisitive, open-minded, optimistic, and willing to take risks. With so much disruption happening across industries, it's no wonder demand is heating up for leaders with these skills. So what does this mean for you as a business leader? It means that now is the time to really zoom in on building your bench of innovative and inclusive leaders. How? First, look inside your organization to identify and fast track leaders with these skills. Second, prioritize development programs and mentorship that develop leaders' disruptive muscles. And third, don't forget to look outside your organization and industry to mobilize and cross-fertilize talent. This is how you evolve and stay relevant in an increasingly competitive world. Find out more at russellreynolds.com slash insights.
1: Welcome back as we continue our conversation with Tamara.
3: Tamara, what
0: are some of the mid- to longer-term technologies that you're following that you think will have positive benefits for society? Because you also talk quite passionately about the benefits, both societal as well as environmental benefits.
2: Well, I think one of them that I think will have incredible benefits for those who suffer is genetic engineering. So, for instance, there's somatic cell engineering and there's germ cell. And somatic cell is just when we alter something in the individual themselves, but it's not heritable. So I'm not talking germline, which is editing the cells of an embryo that's then heritable and it goes down to generations. So I'm not talking that. I just want to make that clear. So with somatic cell engineering, we are able to, say, end the suffering of people who have heritable disease like, say, Huntington's disease or heritable disease, say, childhood blindness, blood disorders. Usually, these are diseases that will cause death and a lot of pain. So if we have the ability to ease someone's suffering that way in a way that's just genetically modifying the individual, not their lineage, it's not heritable, then I think we should do it, right? We're changing someone's life. We're, We're helping them out. And I think that's to me where technology should be used and where I'm excited about technology is that it's in service to humanity, to to making suffering less, to helping us with, say, things like climate change and climate issues, because that our survival, there's existential risk there or survival's involved. So I think technology has a lot to offer us, but at the same time, (laughs) where there's a lot of good there's a lot of power and potential for not so good.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about that? I mean, how do you avoid some of the negative consequences of of technology and and particularly technological disparity?
2: I'm saying, let's be fair. Let's let people know what's going on so they can weigh in and have decisions about their future which they currently don't have. That's what I would
1: like to change. Just pulling on that theme a little bit and and talking about climate change and sustainability. So we look at the science, we look at the understanding, we look at the progress, but yet the progress towards the sustainable goals after 20 years were poor. And we had a Russell Reynolds Associates in the United Nations did a joint venture saying, it's about leadership. It's about people like you who are action-oriented, who understand the science, bringing others along to make a change, to make the world improve the way it's led. How do you Think about sustainability and climate change and using science, using technology. And are you involved in any way in doing that?
2: First of all, involvement for me is going back to school and being invested in looking at global policy. I disrupted myself, Clark. Here I am at 56. What am I doing? I'm CEO of a company, but I'm back in school now in a graduate program doing science, technology and global policy. Why? Because I felt like I needed to know and learn more so that I could upgrade my software, so to speak, and be of better service. With climate change, you know, I, sometimes it feels like we're 20 steps behind and it's a huge issue and problem. And I think one of the ways progress has halted there is that when problems become so enormous, people do one of two things. One is, gee, I hope somebody does something about that. That's a problem because...
1: Someone else has got to take care of it.
2: Gee, that's awful. I hope they figure that out. So the problem with that is, is that, you know, who's they? I think we have to have this multi-pronged approach where we're providing a lot of education to to everyone about why is sustainability important? Why is renewable energy important? We need to have these conversations about the fact that we probably will have to, at some point, colonize other planets because there's so much damage that we've done to our own planet. long-term. I don't know that it's going to sustain human life long, long-term. Don't get scared, everybody. I'm talking like a long time from now, but don't we care? And I hope we do. I hope we care about future generations and it's not just all about us. Um, and so we have to start looking at, at the little things that we can do every day you know, one thing I would challenge each person who listens to this is what are you doing about climate change?
0: On that note, I'm going to be cheeky and ask you that question. What are some of the things that you are doing on a day-to-day basis?
2: Well, I'm a, a freak about composting and recycling everything, right? You know, we have a farm in Colorado, so everything gets recycled, reused, composted, planted, fed to the chickens. It's about Less trash in that bucket that's a simple thing, right? Also water. how are we using our water resources?
1: as you think about the future, people you're hiring, the interactions you're having, whether it's in academia or at work, when you look for the next generation of leaders, those that are going to redefine you and me and what do you look for what, is, what are the hooks when you think I think they've got it?
2: So glad you asked me that question because for me, I can work with and see good results from any human being who has a desire to learn and be adaptable and take initiative. So I don't even, this is probably terrible for me to be saying to you on this podcast, but I'm not looking at the resume of their education level. I am looking at what kind of person is here. Are they hungry? Do they like to learn? Are they curious? Are they, you know, self-motivated? If anyone's listening that's in leadership, have you ever worked with a team member where if you didn't exactly tell them what to do, it didn't get done, that's not the person I want. And they may have a pedigree. I don't want the pedigree. I want the person who is thinking on their feet. You know, in our organization, we want to empower people. Are we seeing what people are capable of when we allow them to make a mistake? And I think that's really important. Because when you do empower your people and you do hire the people that want to take initiative, do you reward initiative or is it take initiative but don't make a mistake?
0: Tamara, thank you so much for your time. i conscious that we only have you for another four minutes. So what we would like to do is end with some rapid fire questions. If you could sort of respond as quickly as possible with whatever comes to mind first.
2: Gosh, it's going to be like a shark test.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, Tamara, describe yourself in three words only.
2: Three words only.
0: Curious, adventurous, and a poet. Love it. Um, Tamara, what was your best job and what was your worst job?
2: Oh, gosh. The best job I ever had was as a hospice nurse and... The worst job I ever had was, oh, delivering industrial tools like reamers and drill bits to um, machine shops and industrial tool supply.
1: Okay, that's a podcast all by itself right there. We'll be back, we'll be back on that one. Okay, if you could become an expert in something other than you're studying or working in, what would it be?
2: It would be in creative writing. I would love, I would love to write creatively. I just never have time
0: aren't you doing that aren't you writing a a science fiction thriller yeah but see it's still a hobby on the side i
2: don't do it full time because there's never enough time Yes, you're right and i take classes all the time uh on writing but i don't actually put anything out there because i'm so busy doing (laughs) doing the academic writing and the research
0: (laughs) Tamra, when do you do your best thinking morning afternoon or evening
2: Morning. I'm up every morning 4:35 o'clock on the dime. By myself, there's no alarm. It's it's internal. I'm just I'm ready to roll.
1: Last question, what was the biggest redefining moment in your life or career?
2: The biggest redefining moment was the funeral of my kid sister where in the middle of the funeral when I thought I just could not take the pain of loss anymore than losing my sister I had this thought that I was a green chili burrito. I was hungry for a green chili burrito. And in that moment, I realized that, you know, that saying, this too shall pass. If we wait a minute, whatever it is we're struggling with, no matter how bad it is, the humanity comes in, (laughs) even if it's for a green chili burrito. And it made me just have this, it cultivated a sense of humor for me inside about our human condition and to be a little more gentle with us and compassionate for all of our human frailty.
1: Well, with that uh, redefiner, that would probably set you up incredibly well to have led in this past year. And um, I'm sure everyone at is appreciative as we are appreciative for you joining us here today, whether it's disparities in technology and education, the future of education, the future of how we... Think about disruption. Hugely appreciative of you taking the time today.
2: Thank you so much. This has been a wild ride with the two of you.
0: (laughs) I really appreciate this. Clark, Nenez, thank you so much. Thank you, Tamara. We, We appreciate you taking the time.
1: All the best. Have a great day. Thanks for joining.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of Redefiner's. For more dynamic insights from leaders from across industries and around the world, listen to Redefiners wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And to learn more or get in contact with us, visit our website at russellreynolds.com. Find us on LinkedIn and follow us on Twitter at RA on Leadership. See you next time.